I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So another week in the 2021 tennis calendar gets underway. The Dubai tournament switches to the ATP this week. We had Garbina Muguruza lifting the WTA title there on Saturday. Uh, the ATP Doha event is done and dusted. Nikolas Basilashvili, a winner there. And uh, the WTA calendar moves on to St. Petersburg and Monterey, Mexico, not California. So for for once, you will all be spared my completely irrelevant chat about how great the aquarium is in Monterey, California. I mean, that is still the case. It's just not at all relevant to, to tennis, if it ever was. David, how are you doing? I'm all right. We heard about it anyway. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, and uh, I tell you, they've got some going to do haven't they in Dubai the men to match up to what the women's tournament was last week that's the one thing that really struck me I know they've had some seriously high profile withdrawals in Dubai for this week but it's becoming more and more stark just how strong women's tennis is that even when you strip out a layer of players you're still left with another layer of fantastic names all of whom are relevant and it's it's just becoming more apparent I think by the week now yeah, it's true, isn't it? Because look, there are tremendous draws in men te- men's tennis, absolutely. But that's a great description. A layer stripped out as as it has been this week in Dubai. And it quite quickly looks a little threadbare. Not that there aren't going to be great matches and storylines of intrigue and players to watch. But just in terms of matches and names that grab people, people's attention, grab grabs the the more casual tennis fan they're struggling this week in Dubai on the men's side mm. Mm. I think that's well illustrated by the fact that Denis Shapovalov is actually seeded higher this week in Dubai which is a 500 event than he was in Doha last week which was a 250 just an indicator there of the withdrawals they've had in in Dubai this week interesting mm. Jeremy Shardy's there of course he's on my <laughs> TV screen at the moment, as he seems to be every time we record a podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, we we, we record a lot of them on a Monday, and you know, he's still he's still in the draw on a Monday, isn't he? Um, 
Is that Great, the... I'm going to get another message from my dad saying more Jeremy Shardy bashing in this is week's it... pod. He thinks we've got it in for him. We haven't, I promise. Is that what the, that's what the kids call shade, isn't it? Yes, but it's really unintentional. We're we're big fans of Jeremy Shardy. Yeah. And as I always point out, he is he's my neighbour, sort of. He's quite local he, to me. And he is a lovely fella, isn't he? he? He is, when we're at Queen's, he will come into the, the office and he will... Have a chat with any everybody. He's a lovely bloke. Yes, no, have trying... we have we sufficiently made up for Jeremy <laughs> Shardy bashing yet? He got a first round win. I'm just reading against Albert Ramos Ramos Vinolas, uh, yes. six four in the third. So six, you know he's on a third. on a run. And uh, I'm going to be accompanied in this podcast by his match against Alex de Menor, who is the ninth seed in Dubai. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about what uh, what unfolded. Uh, what what it what, what we think might unfold in Dubai this week, but we'll start with what did unfold in Dubai last week, which was Garbina Muguruza winning her first title for twenty three months, um, and there was a lot of pressure on her to do it because you know at the time of of our last recording last Thursday she was already the heavy heavy favourite to lift that title. And then as soon as she came through um, her next match against Elise Mertens, suddenly it was, you know, it was all to lose. It was a nailed on title for her and she could only lose it. And I think we're going to come on to to talk about Barbora Krejcikova. Um, That is how I'm pronouncing her name on the basis of how she pronounces it on the WTA website. Um, I'm going to really try and do it with that same intonation that she does so enthusiastically on the WTA website. But yeah, we'll, we'll come on to talk about her because um, David has become a Krajikova expert in the last few days. But we're not going to dismiss her at all. We're going to big her up. But a lot of people would have looked at Muguritha against Krajikova, a player far better known for her doubles up to date and thought, well, Muguruza should win this. Anything other than a victory is a failure for Muguruza. Seven six six three in that final for her, and yes, she was the far better player. But you could see the nerves and the wobbles. You could see what it meant to her, the the sense of relief when she won, and that intensity. Intensity is what we're always talking about with Muguruza now, and it was it was so great to see that come to fruition and to see that it it meant to her everything that we we want it to mean to her yeah she carried herself like a top seed uh, like a favorite for a title and just handled it and uh seems to be i mean i always think when i look at her play that she seems hyper motivated for every point she's sort of almost nadal-esque in intensity a lot of the time and yet she's had that period of her career i think in 2018 where in 2019 where she went down to 30 something in the world and could never get my head around that i know she had injuries but it was really jarring and upsetting to see somebody that good that capable struggling and i mean it was uh, there was a really interesting piece in the guardian by tamani cariel writing about her and her breakthrough and winning the french open and winning wimbledon and looking like the player the one who's taking over from serena williams and can carry i thought she would carry the mantle of world number one for for uh, quite a period and she had a brief a brief period in that position but it withered and I mean, 
the exact details are, are difficult to to know for sure, but it it always seemed like an uncomfortable alliance in the latter stages with her coach Sam Summick of that that combination and and I didn't enjoy watching when I was commentating for BT Sport back then I didn't enjoy it when he would come onto the court and be the on-court coach uh, and it just feels like this weight lifted when she started working again with Conchita Martinez who had been her coach when she won that Wimbledon title and and it took a while didn't it but they just feel like they've got something going now they feel like I don't know what you think about it. they just feel like they're in the right place and it's all week to week building in the the right direction. Mm. It doesn't feel like a coincidence to me that Muguruza is having the most consistent spell of her career under Martinez. I went back and had a look at Martinez's career and consistency is the word that jumps out. She was in the top 10 at the end of the year, I think nine times. She was always reaching quarterfinals and semifinals. I'm sure some of her expertise and knowledge is really rubbing off on Muguruza, who is taking it week to week now. And I've enjoyed watching her so much this year. And this this title felt like the culmination of absolutely everything she's been doing in the last 12 months under Martinez. Uh, she's been the best player week to week in tennis this year, male or female, 18 wins, which is unmatched now. Yeah, the final probably wasn't her absolute best performance. You really did see that stress and that pressure of trying to win that title. I think even in the semi-final, she had about half an hour between her first match point against Mertens and and when she finally won it. It was difficult to get over that line. Um, But I just think this ending this title drought, which, yeah, with 23 months, it's actually longer in terms of a big title. She's not won a title of this nature since August of 2017 I think that just makes her even more dangerous now as we head to a part of the season where she's comfortable you know we've talked about Naomi Osaka needing to adapt to clay and grass well Muguruza has won her Grand Slam titles on clay and grass so you've got to think she's a big contender for the rest of this year to to build on what she's what she's achieved in Dubai yeah it's um it's it's really great to see talking about getting over the line Krojikova was serving 3-5 down uh, in the second set and Muguruza had this look on her face of I'm breaking here I don't want to have to serve this Mm. thing out because I want it too much Mm. and she you know she has experienced wobbles she's she's lost lost a massive match from from match point up recently you know winning a first title in that long is a is a massive deal and she just i think she had love 40 didn't she she ended up breaking to to 15 um de krajikova served to win the, win the match and i just love that look on her face like i'm winning it here i'm <laughs> blooming winning it here i'm not waiting another minute now is the moment mm. so it's only seven titles isn't it that she's won i think this is her eighth now her eighth yeah. i mean it's it's not many is it mm. for somebody who's been such a fixture in the game as she has I mean we'll come on to talk about Medvedev in a bit but I mean he's won more titles in his short career than she has which doesn't seem right to me Mm. Mm. I suspect she'll start mopping up more titles She's never she's never been associated with consistency before even even when she was winning those grand slams she wasn't a week in week out Mm. showing up player yeah there's a 
there's a perpetual state of readiness and conviction with everything she's doing at the moment. And that is surely going to translate into more titles, I would have thought. Uh, mm. Yeah, such a big exhale at the end when yeah. she did finally win. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and did yes. you see when she picked up the trophy and she just, it was a bit heavy and she yeah. just uttered under her breath, shit, it was heavy. <laughs> yes, just Shook like Taylor Swift wrist. did when she won her Grammy. Mm. Um, uh, Conchita Martinez um, was was also very happy in the form of iPhone. <laughs> it's as happy as an iPhone has ever looked, I would say. <laughs> Um, what about Barbora Krajikova? Krid- oh, gosh, Krajikova. What about Barbora Krajikova, David? What does her future hold? Well, on the morning of the final, I thought I would start to have a little read up on her and a little and, and something the WTA are doing at the moment when we do our virtual press conferences. They're putting the, the audio file of those conversations in our WhatsApp group uh, for all the media that are accredited. And it's really useful. And I was I was listening to the, this while I was making breakfast on Sunday morning and, and listening to her press conferences. And it was one of those where one answer would lead to me just wanting to find out more about that element and that element because there was there were so much more to her than I was expecting. Um, and it made me quite embarrassed to realize that I've just, in my head, regarded her as a doubles player and... We don't talk about doubles that much. It's something that I think we probably need to be doing more of in the future. And we all understand that. But at the same time, here's a woman who'd won two Grand Slam, back-to-back Grand Slam titles in doubles alongside Katarina Siniakova in 2018. She'd won the French Open and then Wimbledon within weeks of each other. And so, and she was world number one as a doubles player. And I'm just thinking, oh, she's a doubles player. Um, and... When you look up the record, it's kind of easy to understand how you can fall into that trap because she played 11 Grand Slam qualifying draws before she qualified for one. Um, And even then, it took her another two years to actually win a Grand Slam tournament match in the singles in the main draw. That was last year. So she'd basically been trying for five or six years to get over the line and and, and do something in uh, the slam level in singles. And yet here she was having this fantastic doubles career. And I couldn't really work it out. So I, I, I started to try to look it up. Um, and uh, there was an interview that she did, a press conference that she did when she broke through at the French Open last year in October. And she reached the fourth round in singles. And um, first of all, I didn't really know that she was coached by Jana Novotna for, for many years or for, you know, until um, shortly before Novotna passed away so tragically a few years ago. And the story behind that is just really remarkable. And it was an interview that uh, Ben Rothenberg did in the New York Times with, um, with Krachikova and really gave some great detail into that relationship. And... Um, the story goes like this, that, that Novotna, um, when she retired and and was living in the same town and city in the Czech Republic, it turns out, as Krachikova, which is in Brno in, in the Czech Republic. Oh, and I've been there. Have you? Oh, mm. really? What's it yeah. like? Covered a, a, a Fed Cup tie there, uh, there, as it was then known. Oh, it's where Lucy Safarova's from also. It's a bit of a tennis hub, I believe. Burdick, Safarova. Well, they've, they've, they've cleaned up then, Whitaker. haven't 
<laughs> the whole country's a tennis hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kritigova was a great junior in doubles. She won three Grand Slam junior doubles titles. Um, and apparently she was she read an article about how Novotna was from the same village just outside Brno as she was. And so she, this is how the article describes it, inspired and emboldened, Krishikova was still ranked outside the top 300 and she decided to go to Novotna's house with her parents. She met the Wimbledon champion in front of her front yard. I went there and I had a letter and I met her in her garden and she was like, whoa, who are these people? And I told her that I was a tennis player and I'd just turned 18 and maybe you could watch me or help me find out what can be the next level of my tennis. To, to Krachikova's considerable surprise, Novotna was immediately intrigued. And after the two practiced together, she decided she wanted to travel with Krachikova as a full-time coach. Um, and when you then hear about the way Novotna apparently spoke to Krachikova a few years ago, I, the parallels suddenly become really striking. For a, She said to her, you're going to make it later you're going to be a late bloomer, she said in this French Open press conference last year. You'll be a doubles player first, like me, then singles. And when you look at, then I decided I'd have a look at Novotna's career record. And sure enough, in 89 and 90, she won several Grand Slam doubles titles, did Novotna, before breaking through and doing anything of real substance in singles. Um, and, and I mean, I think she won about 11 or 12 doubles titles overall, did Novotna. But that format of the game came to her first. And it appears that history is starting to repeat itself. And even when you actually watch them both play, I was watching some, some footage of Novotna earlier on to compare what I'd been seeing over the weekend. There are similarities in terms of this really elaborate forehand stroke that they both have. Uh, obviously, a, a comfort at the net, given their doubles records. And you just start to think, well, could this be another player who's going to really force her way in? Because, I mean, the players she's beaten this week, Maria Sakkari, uh, Svetlana Kuznetsova, you know, she, she beat Yelena Ostapenko. She was thrashing them, straight sets as well. Uh, Potapova, who'd uh, had such good results recently, and then Jill Teichman, who's a good player. But has beat them all in straight sets before pushing Muguruza in the final. And... When she was told, you know, you're going to be a top 50 player after this week in her press comments um, a few days ago, she, you could see this enormous relief that she'd finally cracked it at the singles level because for years she'd been unable to play the same tournaments at singles and doubles. You know, she, she could go and play Indian Wells or Miami in, in doubles, get straight into the main draw, and yet she was having to go all over the place to get any sort of singles matches because she just wasn't ranked high enough. And she said, the moment that I got into the main draw in this tournament in Dubai for the first time, it was, it was last minute that I found out my ranking would be high enough. This relief came over me. And she talks about and it, being one of the players that the pandemic has really helped in terms of her being able to go back to basics, spend a lot more time with her coach that she has these days in her hometown and just work. And But I, I sense the biggest difference with her is mental, is psychological of not putting so much pressure on herself, accepting where she is and what will happen will happen based on 
how she plays rather than just forcing her mind to think I've got to be this I've got to break top 100 I've got to be top 50 and that acceptance has made her a better tennis player I just found her really I loved listening to her and and the the memories of listening to Novotna were really striking to me Mm. well that's fascinating while you were talking David Jeremy Shardy got broken twice (laughs) (laughs) it's a Monday Um, Go on, Jessa. No, no, we love we love Jeremy Shardy, and we now love Barbara Krajikova. That's um, oh, that's fascinating background. She, not to go from sort of a positive, uplifting story to a big Krajikova negative, but she took a twelve-minute bathroom break between sets one and two, and that has caused an awful lot of discussion and consternation in many parts of the tennis world a lot of people just up in arms that that can happen um, using it as an example of the urgency um, needed in changing the rules I personally feel very mixed about the whole thing I'm uncomfortable with a 12-minute bathroom break I'm uncomfortable sort of in principle Um, from a fairness point of view, from a sort of tennis as product and as a TV product point of view, it's hugely problematic. And I think bottom line, something probably does need to change so that 12-minute bathroom breaks don't happen. However, I am uncomfortable with a lot of the tone of the discussion, which fails to acknowledge pretty major reason why women might need to be able to take longer bathroom breaks and might not want to sort of have to explain to the umpire on the court why that that's the case um i just i just wish more of the discussion acknowledged that as a as a big feature therein and i know lots of ex players leslie allen who we've got endless time for was was pointing out on Twitter today. I saw that you know back in back in the day, bathroom breaks were barely a feature of the women's game. And look, all credit to them. I salute them for that. I mean, the number of difficult situations that must have been presented to to female players back in the day, and that they would never have been able to to talk about or. You know, must have been dying to say, for for goodness sake, I lost that match because I had this awful situation going on with my period or whatever. But just because, you know, players in the past went through that doesn't doesn't mean we should put current players through it. Is that that doesn't that doesn't justify things not changing for the better? Um, however, all of that is to say, I am com- uncomfortable with the twelve minute bathroom break as we saw in the final i just don't i don't have a solution it is maybe the solution that you do put some sort of point penalty on it uh clockwise and rather than being up in arms about the length of time somebody's taking which maybe for absolutely legitimate reasons and particularly all the points you've made um but still on the understanding that players are also going to be penalised for it. It's just one of those things. I mean, that could potentially be 
I'm playing devil's advocate here, that's potentially players being penalised for having their periods. Are we are we happy with that? I, well, ugh. but is is that not then kind of just the same for every player? Okay, it's bad luck. If what it if it's in a final? To, well, still, I mean, yes, it's bad. It's bad luck. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not dismissing it. It's definitely a. It, it's yeah. That's an option. It's, it's, it's not perfect. The only way. It's but, the only way I can think of to take to dis disincentivize people that do want to take advantage of of it, um, but gives a sort of level playing field generally. Okay, you, mm. it could just literally end up that it's bad luck for you on that day timings wise um but it's the only way i can think of to to get anywhere but at least i kind of feel like that would take the conversation away from from just criticizing the individual because physically they just have to do this right at that particular moment that's the way it is Mm. matt do you have a magic solution for us i certainly don't have a solution to the problem i think the next step that needs to happen as you've said is that the discussion needs to change the tone of the discussion needs to change whenever a lengthy bathroom break happens in a women's match at the moment the assumption that i hear in most of the commentary and the analysis is that it is some form of gamesmanship and that makes me uncomfortable and i think if if that's changed i think then it's possible that some kind of rule could be improved upon. I I honestly have no idea what that is for the reasons you've just laid out. It's very difficult. But for me, the first thing that needs to change is is the discussion around it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So we've identified the problems and now somebody else can find the solutions. (laughs) Great. What a service we provide here on the Tennis Podcast. Um, I also think, though, the the, the point penalty thing and the time thing... Oh, if that were just a if a if a sensible figure could be arrived at, and it would just have to cover all injuries, and again the same thing would apply. You may just be unlucky that your injury cannot be sorted out in the time, or whatever your issue may be. Um, I don't know. That's that's all I can think. But of. what about there are things like the proximity of the toilets to the court is different at every tournament. Yeah, no. I t- so that okay, needs I, to be factored in. I take, I take the point. And um, and different depend. You know, at a Grand Slam, it's different dependent on what court you're on. You know, if you're on the main court, usually the the changing rooms are right there. But if you're on an outside court, and let's say you need to do an outfit change, you might need to go back to a dressing room rather than just to, you know. There's all of those things. So one fixed rule. I don't know. It is. It's extremely. It, it's it's nuanced and knotty and delicate. It's it's so nuanced, knotty and delicate that it really requires people to come to terms with the the parameters of this discussion. And as Matt put so perfectly, tennis hasn't done that at the moment. The, the product thing, I'm less bothered about. There are delays in sports. That happens. But there um, are a lot of delays in tennis, a lot. The first thing they do is a delay. They walk out onto court and they delay for five minutes. That, that has been reduced there, hasn't it? Yeah. And no, at least there is a clock on that now. It still starts with a delay. 
Tennis has mm. more delays than any other sport besides American football, which is just one big delay. Oi, it's great. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's a lot of delays though, isn't there? Yeah, it's, but it's thinking time. I like it. Right, okay. <laughs> And it's also good Maybe if you it's just the, the way you sell the delays. Maybe that's what needs to change. <laughs> Maybe some men need to run on court and bend over while Barbara Krajikova is in the loo. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I, I also recommend... <laughs> I uh, out of context lines from the tennis <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I also recommend the uh, the NFL Game Pass's iPad app, 45-minute uh, edit of a four-hour game which just removes all the rubbish delays and just you get the best bits. I mean, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Shouldn't be necessary in sport. Um, so that was the Dubai uh, WTA event. Obviously, the ATP event is happening as we speak. Jeremy Shardy has held serve. Uh, he's 4-1 down in his second round match against Alex Dominor in Doha. Um, obviously, we brought you up to date with events up to and including... Thursday, um, the day that Roger Federer lost to the eventual champion, Nicolas Basilashvili, beat Roberto Bautista-Rugut 7-6-6-2 in the final. Um, they were extremely windy conditions for that final. It wasn't it wasn't the highest of, of quality, I would say. Um, we had an email in from Srikanth Reddy saying or asking, has your level of concern for Federer changed now that we know he lost to but also held match point against the guy who won the tournament? Anyone want to take that on? It's quite an interesting point, isn't it? Mm. You know, Federer came closer to beating the eventual champion of that tournament than anyone. Um, Does that mean he was the second best player in that tournament and we shouldn't really have any concerns about him whatsoever in his first tournament back I don't view it like that I don't I don't think the result is that significant to how I feel about Federer it was it was the eye test it was how he looked and however close he got doesn't change the fact that he looked both fatigued and his movement seemed quite compromised at times in that match but everything we talked about on Thursday are the reasons why I'm not overly concerned by that aspect either mm, i would i would probably agree it, it was it was the eye test not the result test my level of concern diminished when dan evans said that that had already always been federer's plan was to not play dubai mm. um he said that the following day and and i because mm. i i assumed it was the plan to play and because i just mm. thought oh he probably won a few more matches but you know that that kind of makes sense to me as as well. Um, Dan so, has got all the scoops. Well, he spent weeks with him, didn't he? So. Mm. Yeah. What, what else has he got? Mine, mine him for information, David. I think that's about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. That made me. We we should have gone back and and done another, taken another the podcast insert. down, done another insert, <laughs> and re-uploaded it. I I asked about uh, how he feels about being called Danny. Mm. And he he just did the hands over face emoji. Mm. Don't know what that means, really. Which is ambiguous, isn't it? I always find with that emoji. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think generally don't like it, but because it's Federer and he practiced with me for two weeks, I can live with it. <laughs> yeah, 
I think so. Yeah, I think so too. I think that means if it was anyone else, it ain't happening again. But I'll let it slide just this once. Um, We had an email from Kaz uh, saying, Hi, I know you've covered this subject in previous podcasts, but with Basilash really winning at the weekend, I feel it's important to keep the discussion going. When players are suspended for doping allegations, then why can't they be suspended for violent and sexual crime allegations? If there's enough evidence for the police to charge a player, then there surely should be enough evidence for the ATP or WTA to suspend that player um an update uh, we've had from Tamini Cariol of the Guardian um is that hearings are ongoing in Georgia re Basilashvili's case um so that sounds rather open ended but the fact remains he has been charged and awaits trial uh, on those uh, domestic abuse charges i mean personally i think absolutely the atp and WTA need to have a policy, in particular the ATP, I would say. Um, and on the face of it, it seems logical to me that once charged, a player should face suspension at the very least. Um, that is what would tend to happen um, in other places of work. If you're if you're charged with a crime, you face suspension. Um, until until the trial, until the outcome of the trial, um, I don't think this should be should be any different. Um, if if the ATP had a policy that that treated the situation differently, I'd still be a lot more comfortable with that. Yeah, the ATP put out a statement at the time when the allegations came out about Zverev. I mean, it took them a couple of weeks to do it, didn't it? Um, At the time, they said the ATP fully condemns any form of violence or abuse. We expect all members of the tour to do the same and to refrain from any conduct that is violent, abusive or puts others at risk. In circumstances where allegations of violence or abuse are made against any member of the tour, legal authorities investigate and due process is applied. We then review the outcome and decide the appropriate course of action. Otherwise, we are unable to comment further on specific allegations. And far as I'm aware, we've not had anything about Baslashvili from the ATP at all. We've obviously talked a lot more about the Zverev case because that's the more high-profile one. He's the more relevant player week in, week out. I think a lot of what we've said there stands here, that the lack of policy, the lack of investigation makes tennis look puny compared to other sports which do have these policies in place um on the issue of suspension i guess it's complicated in tennis by the fact that the players are independent contractors and can can you put a player on paid leave um there, there are sort of other measures you could bring in in terms of protected ranking but in terms of the actual financial situation I'm, they would obviously need to do something there. I suppose that's why Kaz makes the parallel with um, doping because they are suspended mm. pending the the outcome of a full investigation um, with with doping cases. Um, yeah. So yeah, there is a little precedent there that yeah. that they could follow. But yeah, I, I find it all troubling that Basilashvili has continued to to play and it's not been commented on by the ATP. Yeah. Uh, Andre Rublev and Aslan Karatsev won the doubles title. Rublev can't go a week without winning a title. 
his hopes were dashed in the singles. He thought, don't panic, everyone. The world is not off its axis. I'll just win the doubles and win it. He did. They have at least found the strategy to stop Rublev, which is not give him any matches and then <laughs> throw in the informed player in Bautista Agu. But they, I'm not sure that will work at the 500s. This was just a 250. I'm, I'm not sure it counts. Is he the uh, tennis player equivalent of the bus in speed? If it drops below 50 miles per hour, it <laughs> blows up. <laughs> he has to keep his foot on the pedal and just keep playing. Just every day, just keep playing. Singles or doubles. <laughs> um, it, was quite, get... <laughs> it was quite interesting because he thought that the rest would help him. He said... In in one of his interviews, I, I'm I'm really pleased. I've not had to play any matches because I really needed to recover after Rotterdam. But actually, I I think the reverse was true. And you're right. Just playing matches is what is what brings the best out of him. Turns out the last thing Andre Rublev needs is ever to recover. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Over in Santiago, uh, Christian Garin won a title on home soil. He beat uh, Facundo Bagnes 6467 Seven five, and considering at the time of tennis's suspension last year, Christian Garin um, was in the ATP finals field, wasn't he? He was in the top eight of the race, um, and they had to introduce what we very affectionately called the Christian Garin rule 
to <laughs> adjust the rankings in order that Christian Guerin wouldn't feature in the uh, ATP finals field. Of course, that's not why it was done. It was nothing personal to Christian Guerin. However, he didn't feature in the ATP finals field. Um, this was his first, these were his first match wins in 2021. And he's probably somebody that has really um, suffered from the, 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 there being fewer events, there being fewer South America events. He's somebody that does sort of play alternative swings, doesn't he? Um, that perhaps aren't in the full spotlight on the ATP tour and just mops up wins and titles. Um, and then, you know, rocks up at a grand slam and reaches, reaches the third round and collects points there. Um, so well done, well done, uh, Christian Garin. Uh, that was Facundo Bagnis's first final at the age of 31. So well done him. It's all about the late bloomers uh, on this week's podcast. David has a talking point he'd like us to address. Uh, it is. Okay. Yes, it's in It's in the agenda and everything. Oh, it, yeah. It's been put in the agenda so that I, I am not allowed to breeze past it must address it um can we point to any players who have benefited from the covid enforced stoppage in 2020 Naomi Osaka yeah but she was already a thing wasn't she yeah she's an even bigger thing now I was looking for players that have become something beyond what we would have expected them to be. And and Krachikova is a great example, I think, of, of that. She's the one that inspired the question. Um, and, I mean, I think Jennifer Brady is another. I think Jessica Pagula. Uh, these are, these are mm. players that I've thought of, players that have gone away and put their heads down and got some foundations that maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. I think both those players were on upward trajectories anyway, but they were able to sort of come out of the pandemic far better players perhaps than they would have been without that big training block. I think especially Brady, because she actually sort of changed up her her training, didn't she, during the pandemic and stayed in Germany with her coach um, and came out so fast at the, at the restart of tennis. So yeah, I think those two certainly jump out. There's, it does feel to me like there's perhaps more players who have been victims of it you know Galmon Fies is such an obvious one can barely win a match and he was on one of his best streaks Christian Garin would be another and so but most players seem to have carried on where they left off overall Benoit Pair's not enjoying pandemic tennis is he no Gilles Simon has stepped away from tennis mm. yeah French tennis player plus pandemic not great Apart from Jeremy Shardy, who's just mopping up all the tennis he can. 6-2, first set to Dumanor. But uh, he's about to hold at the start of the second. Um, any men's players that we can point to that are a different prospect post Well, COVID? I mean, a, a couple of people have said Rublev, but again, he was on the sort of trajectory that makes you feel like it was probably going to happen for him anyway. It was already happening. Um, and... The other one is Pierre Hugobert. Oh, what a segue. Uh, Pierre Hugobert was a finalist in Marseille 
last week. He was beaten by the new world number two, Daniil Medvedev, 6-4, 6-7, 6-4. Really enjoyable match to watch this one. Tenth title for Medvedev. Um, and for, for Herbert, yeah, maybe a new chapter in his career. I mean, I watched that match. We had a, a brief um, WhatsApp chat about it. We, you know, we were all glorying in what a lovely player he is to watch. We were even complimenting his top knot. And I don't do that lightly. I've seen if there has been, you know, one underreported negative consequence of COVID, it is the prevalence of dreadful top knots. And Pierre Rugebert is is defying the statistics with quite a quality top knot, I would say. It quite suits him. I would never have thought that clean cut, can't grow a beard, Pierre Rugebert would suit a, a more rugged look. But he surprised us all. I have a technical hair question, Catherine. Yep. Because it, it, it wasn't working for me, his hair, at the end of last year when it was still long. Was that was that the hairband phase? Well, he had it in a. I would have called that the top knot. I was right. thinking this was more of a bun. Right. Do you think a top is a top knot a half up, half down situation? Maybe. Okay. I mean, I was really coming to you for the technical hair questions. I mean, I'm familiar. I mean, territory. I would describe it. Uh, I'm not sure. Technically, there is. There is an official difference between a top knot and a man bun. Cue okay. flurry of emails that we're going to have to reply to. <laughs> we're going to have to have a template email reply about top knots and man buns. <laughs> um, I'm not sure there is officially a difference. If I were asked my definition, I would say a top knot perhaps is a bit messier and a bit a bit higher onto the crown of the head. But right, okay, whatever it is, it's working. Yeah, I, I, it's working. As is his tennis. <laughs> I thought Matt was going to ask how long he had to grow his hair in order to try it. But it turns out he wasn't going to ask that. A while longer. You, you'd, have to, you'd have to live on product for several more months before you could tie it back, Matt. Mm. Which I'm not discouraging. I just want you to, <laughs> you know, be aware of the realities of the situation. Um, yeah, we... we we spent a while just glorying in how lovely a tennis player into what he is to watch, how he seems to have all the skills um, and seeing him pull them together, as he has done this week, and really contend against the world number two, Daniil Medvedev. Why isn't he a higher ranked slash better tennis player? Um, and we've all settled on lack of fangs as the primary primary reason for that, because it doesn't seem to be any tennis-based reason. Okay, he doesn't have a huge weapon, but there are other examples of of players that have achieved plenty without a big, big weapon, I would say. Mm. I mean, for me, lack of fangs is the main one. And I think we saw that a little bit in the final against Medvedev. It was a strange end to what had been a really good match. Right when it was tight in the third set, he played a loose game. And suddenly the match was over. I also think it's it's hard to do what Herbert does well in the current era of tennis. It, everything is kind of working against him in terms of the speed of the courts and the fact that people are so good at returning. 
I was excited about this match because I thought Herbert had a chance to potentially expose Medvedev a little bit, make him perhaps look a little bit awkward or unbalanced because, you know, we we know how good Medvedev is from the baseline and we know how good he is at deploying variety on his own terms. But I was interested to see how he would react to Herbert's game, Herbert coming into the net, keeping the ball low. And I thought maybe Medvedev might not have the hands of a... Murray or uh, Djokovic, for example, might not be able to diffuse what Herbert was throwing at him. And I think for large parts of the match, we did see that. The fact that Herbert did make it so tight was a testament to how well his game was working against Medvedev. But ultimately, the balance, I think, is in favour of, at the moment, of a player like Medvedev, who can hit the ground strokes that he can and... um, that was even on a on a pretty fast indoor court. So I think that's that's a big reason for me why Herbert hasn't been able to quite climb as as high as you might think he should be able to with his skills. It, it, it's a great skill set, but it's not necessarily the skill set for its time, if that makes sense. Mm. There, there is something really throwback about him. Maybe the man bun is an attempt to modernise. I don't know. Uh, it, I'm I'm very wary here of lazy country stereotypes. However, the there is a more than coincidental um, crop of French male players from the most recent generation that could perhaps be accused of of. Uh, placing undue value on style over substance not consciously it's all in the kind of the coaching and everything but there are a lot of players a lot of French male players that we could have broadly been describing in the last few minutes aren't there like he does fit into a a category lacking in the fangs Lovely style, wonderful to watch. Why aren't they a bit better than they are? Mm. Why aren't uh, their results that bit better? And when you say fangs, that's for anybody who didn't hear the Mary Carrillo show a year or two ago when she coined that phrase for us as a player who has that ruthlessness and will win at all costs and is coming for you and is going to put put you to the sword. And it's just <laughs> the best shorthand way of saying that that I've ever heard um the other thing is too much concentration on doubles perhaps in his case I mean I you know I I think it's a fair point about there's a there are a lot of French players who you could you could list um but I mean in his case he has been so dedicated to winning with Nicolas Mahou over the last few years has his singles game suffered we were talking about Krichikova um and uh, I asked um, I asked Pam Shriver what she thought about this because I was really curious. Don't give me the eyes. I know it's terrible <laughs> name dropping, but who else better to ask? It's the way you sneakily this? have these text conversations with grandstand champions and don't <laughs> yeah. put it I in can't the agenda. Do that. Don't you don't fair. pop it in the agenda. You do it so you can drop the bomb. Well, look, you two are better at all the other aspects of it, so that's all I can add. So I'm doing this bit. Not true. Um, Not true. I just thought I was really interested because of she is a player who played both 
disciplines throughout her career and she was a she reached the grand slam final as a singles player she won how many doubles grand slams 18 wasn't it with uh with martin and Avratilova and and was just a fantastic player at it and you know then there was martina who was world number one in both and won all those major titles McEnroe as well so why why can you do it can you do it now has have things changed to a point where you just can't do it anymore and she she said that she did think the the best of three format is crucial for it to happen for a guy like Herbert, who's if he's going to go and make strides at a, a major tournament to to have best of five and also the doubles you know that's a big ask. I mean, she said, if you're a player like McEnroe and Avratilova who values and benefits more in your mind from match players opposed to singles practice, then you're you're better off playing doubles t- doubles matches rather than just hours and hours in the practice court. Um, but still, the two or three set format is crucial to that, really. Um, and I just wonder whether, as well mentally, psychologically, the approach of it, are you able to do both and properly dedicate yourself to beating that other person down the other end? If you've also got a schedule in, I wonder what my doubles partner's doing. I wonder whether we'll get to play today that match as well. Am I going to fit that one in? You know, it's a horrible thought that you might not be able to do both. I mean, Sabalenka's ditched it, hasn't she, this year? Garbina Magarutha used to be a really good doubles player and she's pretty much ditched it. I, I hate that, but that seems to be more and more the case. Well, if it's a bear Mayu or a bear doing well at singles, then I'll take a bear Mayu, <laughs> please. Don't ever let it end. Hasn't he already done that? And like now, yeah, it's to- we've seen a bear without Mayu, and it was all very dark. Andy Murray got dragged down into it. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> it was an absolute black hole. Mm. What I think is interesting in a bear's case is that he's not. Even without the doubles, let's say he had completely focused on singles. I think it was very, very unlikely that he would have reached the heights in singles that we've talked about there in terms of McEnroe and Navratilova. He just he just isn't that good a tennis player. So I think what we're probably talking about is his if his doubles career has hurt his singles career, it's probably hurt him 10 or 15 places in the rankings, two or three titles. And I think there was a certain point, perhaps, where Herbert realised that and realised the experiences and the titles he could be winning in doubles were a lot... The hugs. And the hugs with Mao were a lot more fulfilling than what he could get in singles. And he, he ended up chasing the doubles. You know, he made the career slam goal and he went out and got it. And I, I don't think he would swap that for just a slightly better singles career. Oh, if he said he would swap it, then I would cry. Mm. I would genuinely have a cry about that. But I, do, I think you're right. That's, yeah. Um, Jeannie Bouchard reached a uh, a final this week in Guadalajara, just sort of quietly toiling away uh, in the lower levels of, of the game. Uh, she was beaten by Sara Cerebes Tormo, uh, who won that WTA title 6-2-7-5. That's her first career title. Um, other bits and bobs of of news um, from the past few days. Kim and Andy Murray have welcomed their fourth child. Um, as a result, Murray won't be playing in Dubai 
uh, next week, but he's hoping for a wild card into Miami, which you would expect him to get. I was up early this morning interviewing Andy Murray at the National Tennis Centre. That's an interview you can see on Prime Video um, this week uh, during the coverage of Dubai uh, and also next week during the coverage of Miami that I'll be presenting. Um, I can't tell you much about it other than to say it, it, it's a cracking interview. He's he's so interesting and honest. Um, and also to tell you that um, I had to set an alarm for 6.45am to attend this interview, get a, a lateral flow COVID test done before it. I don't think Billie Jean has ever seen 6.45am before because I've got a, you know, we're both on a really excellent lockdown sleep schedule. <laughs> and she's been in a coma ever since. She she simply can't cope with it. She's in that, she's asleep on my knee right now. And bear in mind, usually when I'm recording the podcast and she's in the room, she's desperately trying to get my attention. She's in that level of sleep that's so deep that her limbs are twitching without her realising it. It's, yeah. And this is somebody who's talking from experience, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that's Andy Murray. Um, Kim Kleisters, um, who was coming back from her comeback, is now... Who knows what she's doing, but she ain't playing tennis. Poor thing. Um, she won't be playing Miami or Charleston as she she had announced that she intended to. Um, she caught COVID earlier in the year. That disrupted her training schedule. And she says she's really behind in her recovery from her knee injury, which de- delayed her last planned comeback. So poor Kim Kleisters can't catch a break. Um, and then we've had a tiny, tiny bit of aggro between Alexander Zverev and, and Roger Federer, Matt noted in the in one of Roger Federer's press conferences that he he listed um, younger players that have won the ATP Finals title, and he omitted Alexander Zverev from that list. Of course, Roger Federer's management company teammate used to manage Zverev until very recently when they parted ways, and now we've had Zverev having a not quite pop at Roger Federer. Um, Can I just said, say my favourite part of Federer omitting Alexander Zverev in the list of young players to have won the ATP finals was the inclusion of Grigor Dimitrov. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Who I think turns 30 this year. <laughs> yeah. no, um, really? Zverev was talking about the frozen ranking system. He said, I'm Roger Federer's biggest fan, but he hasn't played in a year and is above me in the rankings. I've played a Grand Slam final, a Masters final, and right now the system is a mess. Um, so that's how he feels about it. I mean, look, we, we've talked about it before. The the rankings really aren't ideal at the moment. I think it's it feels more problematic on, on the women's side um, than on the men's. But it's completely imperfect. But I'm yet to hear a, hear, hear a, a fairer or better solution, personally. Uh, this week, Zverev is playing at the ATP event in Acapulco, as is Sitsipas, Schwartzman, Auger, Eliasim, Raonic and Fanini. Team is the top seed in Dubai. Uh, Goffin, Shapovalov, Rublev, of course, uh, all playing there. Uh, the WTA are in Monterey, Mexico. Uh, Sloane Stevens is playing there. Um, Podoroska. Coco Vanderway is playing um, against Leila Fernandez. Goodness, first time uh, we'll have seen her in action for some time. And the WTA event in St. Petersburg features Fiona Ferro 
she could be a contender for someone that's improved through lockdown. Yelena uh, Ostapenko, Ekaterina Alexandrova, um, Kudamatova. That, I think, rounds off the tennis podcast for today. We'll be back on Thursday, of course, with a, a pod updating you uh, on happenings in those events I just mentioned and any other news that may arise in the tennis world this week. Uh, we have a mascot for the week. It is a cat because we're a lover of all animals here at the Tennis Podcast. Uh, she's called Ella. Um, her human is Mary. They live in Australia and she's a rescue cat. So hello, Ella. Both of my childhood cats were rescues and they were quirky, but um, very valued family members. Um, yes. So hello, Ella. Thank you for being our mascot for the week. Um, we have our mascots for the year and they are... Oh, Billie Jean has just stirred at the potential mention of her name. Uh, yes, you're sponsored by Billie Jean King, but she still won't wake up. Not so even, get your act together. Not even for that. <laughs> Um, I wonder if she can sleep through the whole day. I'll um, I'll keep you posted on that. Um, Zeus is uh, my mascot for the year. Hello, Zeus. I've got Rogue. Right, Rogue. And I've got Scousel Mousel. I am going to start Hello. mixing up the order on that just to just to keep things interesting. Um, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. He's a top bloke. Hello, Chris. And we have shout outs for Matt. Kathy O'Grady. Right, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Well, I know we had a Catherine last week and I claimed name solidarity with her, <laughs> um, but I'm going to claim it again with Kathy because that's what my family call me. I can't get my head around that. Can you, man? No. 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 I, 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 have I told this story on the podcast before? When I was 12, I decided I needed more edge, so demanded <laughs> that uh, I, I be Kathy with an I-E. And um, bless them, my grandparents' cards to me still address me as Kathy with an IE. Um, yeah. This is Kathy with a Y. Right. Oh, Which, thanks, yes. Yeah. My family call me Matthew. I don't know why I said it like that. Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, well, my brother, who's a Matthew, is variously known as Matthew, Matt and Math. Mm. You you can you can be known as many things. Are you ever Dave, David? You are, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I can't get my head around that either. No, that feels weird. Yeah, my parents call me that. And annoying. Who mm. <laughs> else? It's going to be a tough act to follow on from a Kathy. Who's mm. going to try and do that? We have Gail Nell. Ooh, that's right, a Gail. good name. Like Monfils. Yes. Yes, although this is with an I in the middle rather than an E, but yes. Ah. Gail, like um, from Corrie, from Coronation Street. Blimey, Catherine. <laughs> Coronation Street well, reference another, here on the Maybe another podcast. famous Gail. Porter. one. Gail Ems. Gail Ems, yes. Good one. Yeah. Lots of them. Well, was she, well, she was a badminton. Badminton, badminton player. Silver mm. medalist. Yes. Yeah. Lots mm. of great Gails. Thanks, thanks very much, Gail. And finally... Niall or Neil, I'm not sure, Amundsen. So I've oh, got to name. list famous Neils and famous Niles. <laughs> well, and Matt's dad is called Neil. Yes. So there's is. a Neil. And Niall, you've got uh, Niall Quinn well, and you've One got Direction. Niall off of One Direction. Well, you know, maybe it's the same bloke. What, Neil slash Niall? <laughs> no, because we've got his surname and it's not. 
whatever Niall from One Direction's surname is. Oh, Horan. Hor- there we go, Niall Horan. Similar. Yeah. I don't know too much about One Direction. Hello, Neil slash Niall. Either yeah, way, great name. Yes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Tell your friends if you enjoy it. Leave us an iTunes review. And most importantly, join us again for more tennis podcast fun on Thursday. We'll speak to you then. Oh, and P.S. Shardy won. Well done, Jeremy. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 